Welcome to the Grief Trails Podcast. I am your host, Amanda Kernahan from Remembergrams. Before we get started today, I wanted to briefly explain what Remembergrams is and how it came to be. Years after my mom and my brother's death, I came across a box of sympathy cards and was struck by how generic they all seemed. What I had really craved in the deepest parts of my grief were photos and stories of my loved ones. That's how Remembergrams was born out of a desire to provide a place where people can have cards designed and created that use photos or reflect parts of who that person was that passed away. I hope you'll check it out next time you're in need of a card. Today on the podcast is Corinne O'Flynn. She is the host of the podcast The Calm Entrepreneur, a three-time best-selling author, a nonprofit executive, and a coach to entrepreneurs. Corinne is here today to talk to us about her losses and how they've led her to start a nonprofit the Rowan Tree Foundation, and to live a life where grief is a part of her story, but not the story. We talk about becoming ambassadors in loss and how grief informs who we are as we move forward in the world. Corinne is insightful and a joy to listen to. Enjoy. So the very first time I experienced loss firsthand, I was an adult, I was in my 20s, and my uncle had passed away and we had gone to his wake. And it was the first time I had seen someone that I knew and loved as deceased, lying, like lying in front of me. And I don't know that that was the same as the more personal losses that I've experienced, but the, the, the biggest loss that I've had in my life was later in my 20s when my mom passed away. And she was sick for about 10 months. So it wasn't a very long time to prepare and we really didn't know what to expect with her with her illness and then when she died it was it was a, a real shock it was it was like wow i think the numbness is one of those things like especially with my mother she was we were so close my mom and i and then the following year with almost on the anniversary of my mom's death we lost our daughter and that i think is when i think about grief and loss is the most profound experience that i've had it's the thing that's changed my life, I think more in an everyday kind of a way, I think because not because everyone loses their parents, but because losing some, your parents is more a part of the natural order of things versus losing a child, which was so shocking and unexpected. And so, yeah, I, I feel like I've had several losses that have informed my life in different ways, but I believe that the loss of my mom and the loss of my daughter, especially I think because they happened in such quick succession has been the thing that's had the most lasting impact on my life. If you've never heard of this term, cumulative grief, it refers to when you lose more than one person in quick succession or have more than one grief experience in quick succession. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the death of a person, but can be any life experience that leads to a grief reaction. So for Corinne, she lost her mom and within one year then lost her daughter. And these in life are like our bookends, our parents where we come from, and then our children, what we hope to continue on after us. And Corinne lost both of those bookends within one year. So her name was her name was Rowan Johanna, and she was our first, and we lost her when she was a newborn. So we went in to have our baby, and it was just a cascade of things that we had no idea about. And this is back in 1999. So my mom died in December of 98, and my daughter passed away in December of 99. And, you know, we just didn't know. I think like shell shock is the only thing. Like we went in to have our baby thinking, oh, we're going to have a baby just like everybody else goes into the hospital to have their baby. 
And then it just fell apart. And we never got to take her home. She lived in the, in the hospital and she was born with a condition called trisomy 18, which is like Down syndrome. Down syndrome is May 21 of the 21st chromosome, meaning they have three copies of the 21st chromosome. And she had trisomy 18. So it's a, the lower the number, the more, the larger impact it has in the body, the more distance it it affects, I guess. And so children that are born with trisomy 18 typically don't survive birth. And she did. And and then it's like 10% of those children make it to their first birthday. So it's a terrible, it's, it's not a very hopeful diagnosis. And unfortunately for us, she did not survive. We did not get to have really much time with her at all. We spent a day with her. And I think for us, it was one of those things like we don't, we have living children now, but she was our first. We didn't have any living children then, any other children then. And I, aside from the shock, it was this, it was this, I think there was a lot of anger. Like, why is this happening? We did everything right. You know, there's that whole process that you go through where you're angry at God and you're angry at like, you know, what are we supposed to do if we do everything right and this still happens? Like, what's the point? And there's, for me at the time, there was a, a loss of purpose. There was like, because as you said, like I lost my mom and I have three sisters and my mom and I, I think were the closest of my sisters. And when my mom died, I lost my friend as addition, in addition to losing my mother. Mm-hmm. And then you lose that sense of that identity of being someone's daughter, right? Because you don't have that connection anymore, mm-hmm. which isn't to say that she's not still my mother, but you know what I mean? Like in, in, in my everyday human experience, I'm not, I'm not able to contact her. And then we looked forward, my husband and I and myself and my sisters, my whole family looked forward with such hope for our daughter to be born and be the thing that makes, you know, that December month, a happier time again, and kind of like reconnects the family. And when we lost our daughter, it was kind of like we realized how unavailable emotionally everybody was because we were still grieving the loss of my mother. And so it came with this loss of purpose, but also this really, really stark sense of isolation. And I think that that is what it really pushed me forward today. Like now I do work with families that are dealing with child loss at any age, not just newborns or pregnancy loss. But I talk about it. I talk about isolation because like that disconnect that happens, like you don't know how to, it's like you've just fallen off the stream and you're trying to reconnect, but you're, you've lost your ability to hold on. And so I think that, I don't know, I think that that's the thing that when I think about the loss, it's now she would have been, gosh, 20 23, 23 this Christmas. It's coming up Christmas. And so I think about it in a, in a different way now because I have such distance from it. But in the moment, there was this like, what am I supposed to do now? And at that time, for us personally, we didn't know if we could have a child again, if we should try again, if this is something that was going to continue to happen. So there was a lot of things up in the air and there was so many things to process. And it was just, there was, you're so raw after, after loss, right? that you can't even comprehend all the things that all the pieces that have just fallen to the floor. So I think it took some time. And I think that now looking back, I think when I speak to people who are new in their loss, and I don't know if you've experienced this, whenever you meet somebody who's had a loss, whether or not it's a loss that you've experienced, you know that they are going to be dealing with all these things. You know what's coming for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have the benefit of perspective. And so we try to be this beacon and, you know, but it's hard because the person who's in that loss in the moment in it, 
is really unable to really see past anything. So it's, it's just an interesting journey, I guess. I don't know how else to describe that. Absolutely. I think the isolation is huge. And it makes me think with your experience and the fact that your family was still grieving for your mom, do you think that was part of why you felt more isolated? Or do you think it was the fact that this is the loss of your baby when everyone had expected a healthy baby to be brought home when you left the hospital? Was it such a shocking or unspeakable kind of a loss that people weren't sure how to support you and that contributed to your isolation or just sort of a mixture of it all? Yeah, I think all of the above. I think that the fact that my mom had passed away and for my family in particular, my brother-in-law also died in that year. It was it was a really dark time. But so yes, that absolutely had to have contributed to the sense of isolation. But there is also the sense that and I don't know if it's it's because she was a baby when she died. Like one of the things that happened after, so we went into the hospital to have our baby and we emailed all 400 of the people that we had on our email list. Like, hey, we're going in to have baby, Woo-hoo! you know? And then the next day we emailed everyone like, okay, so here's what's going on. And I was so worried that she was, we didn't know yet if she was going to survive. And I was so worried that if she had died, that nobody would have known her. And so we asked everybody, please, if you're in town, you know, please come and see us and, and meet our daughter. And we learned through that process. So a lot of our friends and family came and they got to hold her. And then, you know, when they left, it was it was clear that, that they needed to go and that it was time for her, for my daughter Rowan to pass. And, you know, I felt a, a tremendous amount of satisfaction knowing that it, this wasn't going to be something that like a year from now, we'd be like, what did that even really happen? And the isolation piece, I think, comes from the the profound impact of the of a loss. Like, and it doesn't necessarily. It's not just because of child loss, I think, but it is different for child loss in that a lot of people haven't experienced anything like that. And thankfully, right, we don't want anybody. I wouldn't wish this on and our worst enemies, right? But when you have a loss like the child, the the changes in everything are immediate and profound. They're like, you don't get to go back. And I think that it's really difficult to process. I used to do a support group and I used to meet monthly with a bunch of people, anybody in the, in the community who had had a child loss. And so we would talk about all different kinds of things. And when anybody was new to our groups, a lot of times they would come in and they would talk about how their parents or their in-laws said something or were like, oh, you'll have another, you know, you could have more children, or they just didn't make themselves available in the way that we as contemporary people would have expected them to be. And my first question is, you know, well, are they, how old are they? And are they from this country? Because I think that that has a huge, that informs how people address the losses. And I'm Irish and our family is all from Ireland. And there was a whole lot of, well, you can have more children. And because child loss happened a lot, a lot to our older generations, and so that was one of the things that I found to be really frustrating because I didn't accept that. I don't want, yes, I would love to have more children, but this child was a person and she has a name and you know a place in my heart. And when you lose somebody who lived for a length of time or a parent, you know, you you have this whole collection of memories and experiences. But with a child, especially from the mother's point of view. I feel like, you know, I found out I was pregnant. And then in that moment, 
nine months before she was born, I was picturing what she was going to look like. We were thinking what we're going to name her. What is she going to be when she grows up? Like all these different things. Mm -hmm. And then when she dies, all of that dies and nobody else got to understand that. And I think that that is part of the big disconnect. And, and then for my husband, you know, especially with child loss, he got to see me being pregnant and then see me being broken. And he lost his daughter and his hopes and dreams, but he didn't have the bond that I did, you know, because I carried her. So it's, it's just so complicated. And there's, I feel like in any other situation where stuff is going sideways, we have the capacity to support each other. But when something like that is happening, like you're completely unavailable and so is everybody else. And so that's, I think, a big contributor to the, to the sense of isolation because there's just, we don't even know how to reconnect because we're no longer like the same shape to fit into that peg, the peg hole that we used to fit into. And it's just, it's just so hard. And that's why I think I got really pulled into doing work with bereaved families because I think that as when we do have a loss of any kind and like, and I don't ever want to diminish anybody else's loss because I think grief is grief is grief is grief, right? But I, I think that when we have a loss and we are able to find our way through it, however long that takes, we become ambassadors for grief. I think that we can normalize it. We can find ways to speak to it and speak about it to people who are going through it in ways that make it better and better and better to talk about things. And so that's, I think, what is the gift in it, if there, if you can, if you can find gifts, but yeah, the isolation I think is is horrible, and it's not it's not like everyone talks about denial and the five stages of grief, and I'm like isolation goes before any of that because it's the thing that shrouds everything, and it's it's just so heavy and and difficult. So, yeah, yeah. and I think it's such a universal experience, no matter what kind of loss, no matter what kind of grief you're going through, to feel like you're the only one, to feel like no one else in the world can understand what you're feeling, what you're going through. And it's almost as if the antidote to the isolation is this connection that we're talking about. You're saying you got involved with bereavement groups and and we talk about our grief and we talk about what helped us get through it and move through it and change with it. And I think finding other people who've been through similar experiences to listen to other people talk about the fact that they also felt the same way. So I think when you're in it, you're kind of like, there is no way you understand what I am feeling. But when you're on the other side, you want so badly to show that person that I know you feel that way and that's 100% normal and you will get to a place where you can stand here and reach your hand out to someone else who is in that early stage again. And absolutely. So back in the beginning of my supporting other people journey, when I would facilitate these support groups, we would always hear from the people who came new and they were sitting down and we would like listen in ways that nobody else had listened to them before. Like we understand their need to be heard and we want to validate their story and and know their child's name and, and really be present. And Almost, I can't, I, I don't think anybody has ever gone through this process and not said at the end, okay, wow, I'm telling you my story and all of you are nodding like this as I'm telling all the things because, you know, you don't get it until you get it. And I think that, you know, just about with any experience, like one of the things that we want, I think, as people is, is this validation of our feelings and not a validation of the fact that the loss occurred. It's just that I will never be the same and I need you to see me. And 
And that's hard because when you have a loss that is profound to you, the people around you just want you back. They don't really have any interest in this new person who, that you are and, and you don't ever get yourself back. And that's a secondary layer of that loss. Like I remember when, and you talked about connections with my work with, I have an organization called Rowan Tree Foundation and I do memorial events. We do memorial events twice a year. We have a memorial in the park in our town and we gather and we do these events. And every time I stand at the mic and I tell whatever the theme is or whatever it was I wanted to share with the group, it always, I always come back to, and no matter what I have to say today, I'm going to continue to share that it's about connection. And everyone, I'm like, look around you. There's hundreds of people around you. You are not alone. And whether or not you ever see any of these people again, you need to go home knowing that like you aren't alone and that this is something that other people get, whether or not they've had your exact experience you know, the universal aspects of this are the things that we're all grappling with. And so, yeah, it's the connection is what makes it bearable, you know, because otherwise we would just be sitting trying to figure this out and, you know, you can't. And I think that that's, that's why people do memorial events. I think that's why we have, you know, that's, that's why the news when any, like a celebrity dies and people are, are grieving and sharing. And it's like, I never even knew this person. And I feel such a profound connection to their loss. We have to process that. We have to honor that in people because it is, it's about that connection. And it's like, well, wait, I need you to understand that I'm really impacted by this. So yeah, I think that the isolation and the connection, yeah, that's, that's the the remedy. And I think you said something so important about the fact that we do become a new person with this experience and that the people around us don't always, A, recognize that, but also may not want that because they knew us as the before. I remember after one of my losses, I was in therapy with my husband and I don't know if it was the therapist or me that said, I'm just a different person now. And he was like, but I married the other person and I want that person. And so it it's a process to really learn that there is no choice in the matter, that you will be changed and that it's now finding that new person and what are the beautiful parts of this new person that you're becoming. And I just think that's it. I think personally, you can feel really resistant to it also. Like I didn't want to be anyone different. I liked my life. I <laughs> yeah. I was happy. Like I didn't ask for this, but it just happens. And then you kind of have to find your way. And I think that's, it's a very, it's a unique experience. And it's also a very universal experience for people who go through this. Yeah. And it's an experience that, you know, yeah, like I really don't want to have to have this experience because this mm-hmm. experience kind of things. <laughs> but, you know, on the heels of that, it's, I remember like I journal a lot and, you know, because living in your isolation, you're trying to process all this stuff. And I remember being really, really worried and articulating to my husband, like before we had our loss, I was a hilarious, fun-loving, out there person who was so alive for everything. And I was worried that even if we could find happiness or could find joy again, that it would never be here. It would always ever be just like the ceiling had been lowered on the on the possibilities of happiness. Mm-hmm. And luckily I disagree completely. I think that it's actually higher. I think that the our capacity for joy and happiness increases 
by the same amount of the depth of the fall, because it's like, it's one of those things. You don't know light without dark. You don't know joy without woe. Like you can't know true joy and without really feeling the depths of, of despair and loss. And I think that is some, that is a message that when I share it with people who are new in their loss, they find hope there. And they like when, and when I'm speaking about my loss and I'm talking to these groups of people in front of a microphone and there are a lot of people that are new. This is their first time coming to an event like this and their loss has been, you know, within the last year or so. They didn't know what to expect. And a lot of people come and they express like, well, like you, you're smiling. You seem like you're okay. And there's hope there. And I'm like, oh, you know, yes. Like, was I this way in the first several years after my loss? Absolutely not. But you know, it's a process. And and something that I think my wish for people is, you know, our loss happens and then we are surrounded and living inside our grief. And I think that the journey or the goal is to find a way to live with your grief and not in your grief, because, you know, we don't want to have, we don't want to be caring. It's heavy. Like we want, we want to be living with it and, and have it be part of our story, not the story, you know, because we are our whole human person and then we also now have this thing that is big and huge and everything is viewed through this lens now, but you still are you and you can find a way to incorporate your loss into your life and your grief can become growth and, you know, and nobody wants to change and it's a lot of hard work, but it's, you know, I think it's, it's a worthwhile journey. Absolutely. I agree. So I know that your daughter passed away so many years ago. Do you remember in that first year, what really were the things that helped you? What things made a difference for you? My other life, I'm a fiction writer. So I, I'm always drawn toward journaling. And I remember back then, it was when like Yahoo was the, Yahoo GeoCities was where everyone had like blogs. And so I started posting essays online. And I, and that is actually what led to me founding this organization. Like I did not have any interest in doing any kind of nonprofit work or anything like that. I was like, you know, just leave me alone and let me be. But I learned through my writing, like I was having these like stream of consciousness things about, you know, thinking about grief. Everyone talks about grief as it's a line, like we're moving forward and we have this progress. And then if I have a setback, it's a setback. And it's like, that's like, I don't even think about grief like that. I think about grief as, this this circle. And I wrote this essay called The Round Room with all these doors. And, and I started sharing those things online just as my own just place to put stuff on as a, a journal. And I started getting comments from individuals like, holy cow, you totally hit on something that I wasn't able to articulate, you know, and I'm going to share this with my family, with my husband, or with my parents. And there was a lot of connection that was happening. And I was getting so it was aside from my husband, it was the first time I had been like, oh my God, like it was a lifeline. Somebody else out there who I don't even know, I don't know anything about them. They, not only do they see me, they read my words and they said, yes, me too. And it was this, like, it's really hard to explain it. It's a lifeline kind of a thing. It's like the light went on in this dark, dark place. And it's like, okay, so other, someone else is, is feeling this. And I think that that was the very first thing that helped. And then, because it was years before I had the courage to attend a group for loss. And very shortly after our loss, my husband, okay, so my Lamaze instructor was this woman who kind of like mothered us through this. Like my mom had passed away, as I said. And so we didn't really have anybody. My in-laws were out of town, were in another city and there was nobody around to really be there for us. And so my Lamaze instructor kind of swooped in and carried us through and she signed us up for this workshop that was going on at the hospital. And it was a six-week closed group 
and they called it assistance with Greece. And unfortunately they don't do that anymore. And I am so sad about that because it was the thing that I think helped my husband and me realize that we're going to be okay, that there's a way through this and this is not the way it's going to be forever. So I think that that was the first thing that really kind of gave me the language because this is entire new world. Like it's a whole new vocabulary. And I think that if you can start learning the language of loss and being okay with the fact that I am doing this over here and I'm feeling this way. And my husband is over here, like finishing the basement because he can't speak to anybody. Like he's doing mm-hmm. sheetrock in the basement and I'm journaling upstairs and I'm like, why is he not grieving? But you know, but he was right. So I think understanding and having people there who were able to explain that this is going to look really funky for a while until you guys kind of find an equilibrium in ourselves where then we can come together. But I think that having somebody who kind of held our hand and walked us through made it okay for us to be able to sit at the dinner table and like be really broken and vulnerable and speak. Because I don't know that either of us, like we're Irish Catholics from the Bronx, like we don't, we don't, talking out loud about our feelings was not something that was by default. And so I think that that made that okay for us. And then with the journaling, I started connecting with other people who were having losses. And I think that that, I don't know how my healing would have happened had I not been able to connect. So thank goodness for the internet, like, because it was the lifeline that I needed at the time. I think the internet has so many flaws and so many negatives, but at the end of the day, it does allow us that space for connection with people that we don't even know. I mean, I've met women who live across the country. I know women in other countries who have had similar experiences, and it is that validation. I also remember I went to a bookstore early in my grief and was just browsing like the self-help section, looking for stories that felt like mine or looking for books that talk about what this experience of grief should look like or could look like because I felt like I needed a roadmap. And so I think now people don't have to necessarily go find a physical bookstore and look for those things in paperback, but you can also just open up your phone and open up the internet and find so many people out there who are willing to talk about what they've been through and connect with you there. Yeah. Who actually are like a craving the ability to share. Like it's it's interesting because if you find somebody who is like, oh my gosh, and you know, I also had a loss. It's like, oh my God, let me tell you. And then you could tell me and then I'll tell you and then you could tell me. And then you just sit there and then hours have gone by and you can't remember the last time that you felt connected and seen and heard. And then you listen to somebody else's story and you under like, and you knew that for them, you were that person who got it. To be able to give that back is a gift as well. And I think that that is something that is really, really healing that we don't necessarily, I don't hear a lot of people talking about that actually. And now that I'm talking, now that I'm saying, it, I'm like, wow, like, I don't know the ability to be there for someone else in their grief and actually have that compassion and that empathy is, is very, very healing. And I think that, you know, that I think was probably something that changed for me when I, I used to attend the group that I ended up facilitating years later. And I knew that it was time. And I had shared about this with the group because they were like, well, how do you know? Because I don't know about how you felt after your loss, but a lot of people after having any kind of loss, they want to get involved in that community and support people in any way. And I wanted to become a doula. I wanted to go back and become an obstetrics nurse. And because I realized that like those are the people that loved us through those first days. And I wanted to be that. 
And then I was like, no, that's not the path for me <laughs> for lots of reasons. But I think that there comes a point in time where you're hearing somebody's story of their loss and the emotions that you're feeling and the tears that you're crying are for them and no longer for you. And that's where you know that it's time to like, it's not time. It's like that you're ready, that you are capable of actually supporting somebody else through this because you're whatever that piece of you is, has healed in that way. And I think that that's something, you know, encouraging people to reach out as part of their own healing, even though they don't feel ready to actually be there for anybody else, like be the recipient for the, for until you, until you're full, you know, that's a good thing, I think, to talk about too. And I love that you seem like you, even from the very beginning, were so willing to attempt or receive that connection from other people. The fact that you asked family and friends to come meet your daughter, I find to be so profound that I can't imagine all parents think that in those moments, you know, but yeah. what a what a gift to say, she's real. Come see her, come meet her. She is a real child. She's our daughter. And then to be able to have those memories later because you made that choice. And for you and your husband to make the choice to go to that group. I think that's sometimes a barrier for people to think, Yeah, can I actually get myself in the car and drive to this place? And there's some sort of internal stigma about it. I should be able to do this on my own. I shouldn't need to talk about it. And pushing through that is what helps get us to the other side. But I really admire that you were able to make those steps. Oh, you know, I wish I could say that I was making those steps with that in mind. <laughs> you know, e emailing everybody and saying, hey, this is what's going on and I want you to come was was based in out of fear. It was a fear response because I was afraid that nobody would know that she existed. And so it, it ended up being this wonderful thing because now there are so many people who feel like, well, they, they do. They have a very special connection because they were there for this moment. And it was... Like I look back, I don't have many pictures of that time because we weren't expecting. It's I have like my sister was there and she took one roll of film and she was there to take the pictures of the birth. And so all she had was black and white film because we were told that black and white photography in that situation is much more, those pictures are much easier to see in black and white. And so we only had like one roll of black and white film and those pictures were not of the birth because the birth was an emergency birth at that point. And so they were just of pictures of us. And we look like we went through a tornado. Like I would never have received people had I known what, I, you know what I mean? Like, see, but that's, that's what stuff that falls away. And it's like, it doesn't matter. This is not about us. This is about this experience and please be here with us. So I wish I could say that I had the forethought at that time to do this for every place of this beautiful sharing, but it really, it was really just about this, this fear because after having had our loss, we learned about all these people that, that we knew in our life, family and friends who also had had losses like this that were previously undisclosed and they did not feel that it was okay. And I was like, that is absolutely not who I am. The organization that I run, our motto, our slogan is because it's okay to talk about child loss. I don't want her to be this thing that is mentioned only in, oh yes, well, it happened to us too. And then I'm available for you because I understand. No, I want to celebrate her. She lived in... And whether or not she breathed a breath, like she lived in my heart and I was pregnant with her and she was a person that existed in any way for me. And so 
yeah, I wish I, I, there was no forethought or, you know, feeling like this was going to be something that I'm going to be grateful for down the road. It was because we were just so desperate for, and especially attending that workshop, we were like, I don't know, we had to get in the car and drive and get showered. And it was like, I don't want to do this. And then we got there and it was this closed group of, I think, I want to say it was a total of five other couples and then the facilitators. And there were 12 people total. And there was a range of emotions, a range of experiences. Like some people had a really traumatic and there was like negligence that caused their loss and there was a lot of anger. And it wasn't this, it wasn't easy to sit and be in that group. But then there was also this other piece of it where it's, and I don't know if you've experienced this, where you have your loss and then you are living in your loss and you know every detail and every facet of that loss. You know everything that everybody said to you in the days after your loss. And some of those things are cemented forever as the stupidest things that anybody could ever say in your brain for the rest of your life. And then you find that when you hear somebody else's loss, there's actually comfort in your experience. Like, this is the thing that I'm familiar with. And it's almost as though every time I hear somebody else's story, it's like, whoa, I was spared that. I was spared that. And then they hear our story and they're like, oh my God, I couldn't imagine. So it's like, you find this place where it's like, okay, we normalize, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what, what we're doing there, but our story becomes the thing that we can embrace in a way. And so when we start hearing other people's stories, we start to reflect differently. And it's like, oh my goodness, I don't know how I would deal with that. And it's like, well, wait, yes, you do, because you just do. Like, this doesn't kill you. And that's why we're still here. So it's just interesting. And so thank you for thinking that that was this wonderful thing that I did, but it was not born out of any perspective. It was really just like, I don't know what the heck we're supposed to be doing. And this is what feels like I need to do. And so we did. Because, you know, and especially because in the time, so in the months before my daughter was born, we had lost my brother-in-law. And he had been sick and he passed away, but we weren't there in the moment that it happened. And it's like, well, okay, he's gone. And my mom, okay, she's gone. Like there's nothing here. And I think that's the impulse that pushed like, hey, can you come and meet her and see her and hold her? Because I don't know how long we're going to have. And there was an opportunity at that point. Like we didn't know children with trisomy 18 typically don't die from their physical defects. They die. For, it's neurological more. The body like closes down. And so once they took her off of life support and they brought her into the room to share with us, we didn't know, like she could have been fine or not. And she ended up not being able to breathe properly, but we didn't know. And so it was this like, please come because we don't know. And so it was, I don't know. I'm so grateful that I did. And when I speak to people who have had losses since, I tell them, you know, take pictures. And even if you never look at them, Take pictures, take a handprint if the baby is born and you're able to do that. Write down all the things, like remember the things that you're thinking and, and, and saying and hearing because you just, you might never open that book again, but it'll be, you'll be glad that you have it if you want it, you know? So I'm glad that I did, but it was really painful in the, in the moment. And I think it's okay that you were not consciously like, this is the most healing way to approach this. <laughs> but not the- at all. The fact is that you had a gut instinct of what you felt like you needed in that moment and you allowed yourself to follow it, which I think is so important because that's sometimes that's all we can do is just try and follow those little tiny hints of what we think might help us. And and sometimes we're wrong and they're not what's going to help us, but it's right. just a, a process of trial and error 
And now you're looking back and you have this organization and you're developing a podcast. Can you talk to me about your organization and where your life has taken you in the time since the loss of your daughter? And who is this new person that you have become and where has life led you? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So the organization came out of the beginnings of that were from the blogging online and realizing that this is something that people just don't talk about. And so there isn't like a lot of, there aren't a lot of places where you can go. And, and I hate to say it, but there's no money in loss. And so there's not a lot of organizations out there. So it's always very grassroots effort. And it's always like, holy cow, I went through this. I can't believe I am survived. And now I think I need to be here for other people. And so I think that the impulse is to reach out for that connection piece, but then also to realize the impact that you're having when you do actually connect with somebody else. And so that's where that my organization came out of. And the beginnings of my organization, it was really just online support for people who have had a loss. And it was just like, I'm here, you know, and I had a, a couple of people that also had had losses and we were like moderating a group, a chat board online. And then at that time, I started facilitating the group that met here locally that I had once attended. The woman that was doing it said that she had, it was time for her to, to move on to something new. And she asked if I was willing to do that. And I was like, I don't know, like, I can't, I'm not a leader of anything, you know, that's kind of weird. But it, I ended up doing it because the need is greater and it's not about me. It's about this universal experience of loss. And so the facilitating of the group led to this other conversation where we don't have a place to go. And my daughter is cremated and we're from New York, but we now live in Colorado and we knew we were going to be bouncing around. So we didn't want to bury her anywhere and then not have her with us. And so we didn't really have a place to do anything. And I remember when, and I have subsequent children, I have four living children now. And when my kids were tiny, we were walking around in the park and we found a child boss memorial, this angel of hope statue. And it had this plaque at the bottom. It said, we meet here on December 6th, which is children's day. So meet here on December 6th, 7 PM, bring a candle and we'll have a memorial. And I thought that was like the coolest thing. I was like, oh my gosh. And so I shared that with the group that I was, was facilitating. And I'll never forget my friend, Jen. She's like, we need to have one of those. And so I was like, Okay. And so I had no idea. It took us two years to figure it out, but we raised money and we did a thing. And that was really the beginning of my organization as like this, I don't know, like they had a physical presence and it became larger in that way. And so then we started having events at the memorial. And so now that's this thing that we do. And the events are open to people worldwide. And we now we live stream them because we can have the Facebook live thing that we can do. But the ability to hear your child's name spoken out loud in front of a crowd is is so powerful. So that's that's the Rowan Tree Foundation. It came out of that. And I think that I've really taken to heart the idea of being an ambassador for grief. And when somebody has had a loss, and I don't care what the loss is, like loss of a parent, loss of a child, loss of an adult child. I don't care if it's pregnancy loss or suicide or something you know where there's negligence involved. I don't care if it's a pet. When you lose a piece of your heart, you lose a piece of your heart. And the universal aspects of grief are the things that we can all speak to. And so I think that that's the biggest change in me. I think my impulse whenever somebody has had a loss is to reach out and be like, look, it's not always going to be this hard. Like, trust me, it's just not going to be this hard. And 
people talk about, you know, time heals all wounds. And I don't, I don't believe that. I think that it's the work you do within the time mm-hmm. that matters. So you have to continue to face it. And do, and so that's like, those things are things that I would never, like, I have inserted myself into conversations that I would never have inserted myself into. Like, hi, I can't pop it over here. That kind of a thing. So in the grief land, grief world, like, I think that I've found a courage that I never would have had to really express fully how messy this is and how it is possible to move through this and get, there is another side of this. Like, does grief go away? No. Do you ever stop grieving the loss? No. But it's not going to be the thing that's in the front of your eyes. Like, it's not going to be here for the rest of your life. And so that's a big change. And then the other part of that is who I am as a, as a parent. Like, I imagine that I would have been a fabulous parent and I never had a, a loss. But I know that I am so much more present and mindful about the preciousness of the people in my life in that way. And I think that my children grew up always knowing they had an older sister. And we have a picture of her and there's a little memento that like, I don't want to say shrine because it's not a shrine. It's just a picture and a little statue of an angel. And we've always talked about like, yep, and Angel Rowan and, you know, your sisters in heaven. And it was very normal. And when they were younger, we would bring them to the memorial events. And then as they got older, they were able to opt in or out. It wasn't like, you know what I mean? It's about their experience with it and not mine. And so I think that I've learned grace in a way that I never would have experienced with people with everything, not even loss related. I think that everybody's going through stuff. And I think that you just don't know what people are dealing with. And so the new Corinne is a person who doesn't shy away from talking about loss. And I try to do it as gently and kindly as possible to educate people who have not had a loss, who are frustrated with the people around them who have had a loss. Because I think that that's something that everyone's like, well, I they are just being so dramatic and they can't get out of their own way. And they're good at like, and I'm like, well, you know, okay, so here's something that you may not know. And unfortunately, there have been many times where I've talked to somebody who's had a person in their life who's had a loss and they've been really frustrated. And I've been the person who's been like, well, you know, this is, this is what, this is why this is so hard and da, 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 da. And then that person is at a loss and they've been like, oh my God, I have no idea, you know? And it's just one of those things, like until you experience it, you can't experience it. And so we have to do our very, very best not to give up all the people who don't get it. You know, I think that I use the word ambassador because that's what it feels like. I I feel like we become ambassadors for grief and it's not ambassadors for loss. It's not an ambassador for my daughter. It's ambassadors for this process that is grief that, because people need to understand that it's this ongoing thing. It's, not easy. It is not easy. And I think you're right. I think one of those gifts that we receive down the road is that we look at the world a little bit differently. And when you do hear about any of these experiences that people you know are having, you can't help but hear about it and think like, I I understand on a level. I don't understand their specific grief, their specific right. situation, but the I think the level of empathy you can feel for other people's life experiences is just more profound or different than you have the capacity for before you have an experience like that. And grief is it's one of those things that's going to happen. It's going to happen to all of us in some way, or shape or form, and it won't look the same. But just to know that there are people who are happy to talk about it with us and to be there and that people have walked down 
all sorts of roads of grief prior to you and are there for you. I think it's really, really important. And your organization sounds so special and helpful to families who are facing that. I love hearing about how that came to be. And especially your writing, too. I love to write. And I found writing as one of those. And I did not write about my losses for a long time. So I lost my mom when I was 26, my brother when I was in my young 30s. And it wasn't until about a year or two ago that I began really writing about the experience. And there is something to be said for spending time with yourself and spending time with those memories and revisiting the people that you've lost and the experiences that you had and the ways that that can bring about healing. Even if people choose not to share that, I think it's a great strategy, journaling. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? And that's what you just said is really important. It doesn't matter if you share it. Like some people share and they are able to do that. And, but some people don't, and there's no rule there. Like you don't have to share it in order for it to be healing. And then music is, I'll never forget Years after, so we were living in Colorado at the time. The Miss Foundation is it's mothers in sympathy and support, and and it's also fathers. They also have a it's not just mothers, but the woman who founded it, Joanne Cacciatore, she's she started it because she had a daughter who was stillborn, and there there was a newsletter that I had gotten. It, it was a physical paper or magazine, and it had this poem in it. And I had to be like 10, 12 years after my loss because we were in this house that we're living in now. So I'm trying to time it based on that. But called I Died a Death by a woman named Elizabeth Santos. And I will never forget it. Like I know it off the top of my head. And it's I died a death, but stayed alive. In phantom's likeness, I survive. Alive though dead, I walk alone through rooms with walls as cold as stone. I lived a life and dreamed a dream and loved the life you lived with me. And in the whisper, of a breath you left, and then I died of death. And I discovered recently that there's more of that poem. And the second half of that poem is all about hope. And I found it when I was talking about preparing for an event. And my theme for that year was hope. And I have no idea that the second half of that poem was all about hope. But I read that poem more than a decade after my loss. And I stood in my kitchen and I wept. Like I hadn't, I hadn't cried about my daughter like that in years. And I think that we have to be open to allowing the healing to happen in any form at any time and welcoming it because people are often afraid that if I start crying, I'm not going to stop. And a lot of people don't share that like, oh my gosh, I'm really sorry. I'm thinking about your mom today. And they think that they don't want to say that because they're going to make you sad. And it's like, look, I've already, I've already got that. I love that you said that. And there's that whole notion of like their name is music to my ears. Like, please say it. And because we don't want them to be forgotten, but we also love that someone else is, is feeling that not, not that they're feeling grief, but that they're experiencing their, the person with me. And so I think that music is one of those things. And I think that the journey for me has been, I think that I was put here and I was like, I don't believe that things happen for a reason, but I think that we can find meaning in the things that happen to us. And the meaning that I have chosen to make out of my losses is that I will not go quietly through this. Like I want everyone to know it's okay, that it is going to happen to everybody. And you don't have to reinvent this experience. This experience has happened to so many. Let us take you in and, and hold you through it, you know, because it doesn't have to be this hard because everybody experiences this isolation. You are not alone. 
you know, when you're ready, because sometimes you want to be alone. You want to be the only person. You want to be really angry and you want to be like, I can't believe. And why did this happen? But when it's time for you to reconnect, there's nothing more powerful than being able to like dip into that pool of warm connection with all the other people who have experienced something like this, because, you know, it all comes back to the fact that this grief is universal, you know. And I love that you advocate for parents to continue saying their child's name after they've passed away, because there's really a power in that, that somehow we lose. It's like people become afraid to mention it out of fear of Mm -hmm. causing discomfort to other people. But the more that we can model that and say their names comfortably and talk about them comfortably randomly years later and just say, hey, I was thinking about Rowan. I was thinking about my brother James. And I think that reflects back to people that it's okay to say it to us. You know, it's okay if today you were going through your phone and you saw a picture of this person that I lost and you thought about me and was like, hey, I was thinking about you and I remember this time that something happened with them. Because those, I think, are the small gifts that you can give someone who's grieving. If you have a memory or or something brings up that person's loss or that the one who passed away, if, if they come to your mind for whatever reason, sharing that is such a gift. And people, I think, they're just not comfortable with it yet. So that's what we have to encourage to change. Yeah. And yeah, you're not going to... Like, if you make me cry because you mentioned my daughter's name, that's okay. And that's the thing. I think that we learn through loss that... You know, when somebody else has had a loss and it's a loss that I've never experienced and I don't know what they're going through because you don't know what they're going through. Like mm-hmm. you understand the things that they're dealing with, but you don't know what they're going through. Right. You have the capacity to say, I'm here. And if you need somebody, I'm here. And then you understand that sometimes really just like showing up and sitting next to them without a single word or being in the house and being next to them is really all that you need to do. Like there's no filling of the empty space full of speaking and like, yeah, it's just, it's again, it's it's one of those things that you just don't know how to navigate until you've experienced it. And then it's like, well, okay, you know, I'm really sorry. And I'll reach, my husband once reached out to a coworker that he heard through the grapevine had had a loss. And I was so shocked to find out that he emailed that person. It's like, hey, you don't know me, but we went through this. And if you need somebody to talk to, and I was like, oh my God. Carefully, like so unexpected, you know, but because we know, we know that pain and we know that depth and so how isolating it is because then there's this other piece where like, we're kind of conditioned to not be needy. No, no, we're okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's like, you know what? I know that it's not okay, but I understand what you're doing here. So like, here's my number, (laughs) but we don't, we would never do that. So I think that that's, yeah, I think that something that I will continue to do until my last breath. Like I will make it okay to talk. And it's not about me and my daughter. It's about you and your people and them and their people. And it's about all of us making it okay. Cause this is part of being a person. And it's like, I think that we have lived long enough as humans through history, shoving this stuff under the carpet and like stuffing it down inside. And I think it makes us sick. And I think We need to just be able to express whatever it is at whatever time. And there's no rules on it. And I think that that's something that I talked to my kids about this. And my daughter recently, she's in college now. And her 
friend from high school who's also at the same school lost someone. And my daughter was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. And so I was like, okay, don't do anything. You know, she ended up being the person who drove her home. And she's like, that whole car ride was silence. And I'm like, and that's okay. She didn't need you to do anything. She just needed you to be the person that was driving her. And now her friend has been able to articulate, you know, well, thank you. And she doesn't have the words to be expressing like, thank you for being there and and saying nothing, you know, but that's what we have to do. Like we have to make it okay to be awkward and we have to, and my daughter would never have reached out to me for that advice had she not known that I was okay talking about all of it. So I think that there's that piece too. So I don't know. I think that the more we do it, the better it is. I love listening to you. I could listen to you all day talk about this because you have- I can talk about it all day. (laughs) You definitely have all, it's a very similar perspective on grief and loss that I do. And just being willing to be out here talking about it is so important. And your organization sounds amazing. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you on social media or if they want to listen to your podcast once it's released? So Rowan Tree Foundation- is R-O-W-A-N treefoundation.org. And that is for child loss. And we have two events every year and they are, we have people that sign up and have their child be part of the event from around the world. And then we send out paper programs to everyone around the world and they get to watch it live and, or recorded because now it's recorded on Facebook. But that's the, the child loss organization. And my name is Corinne O'Flynn. So my website is C-O-R-I-N-N-E-O-F-L-Y-N-N. Two N's in both of my names, no double R, dot com. And that's where all of my stuff is. But that has, that's, you know, fiction writing and podcasting and business coaching and other things that are not related at all to to loss. But, you know, I am who I am because of my loss. So, And listeners are multifaceted and we all have a whole variety of life and experience that surround us, not just our loss. This conversation with Corinne was just so jam-packed with love and wisdom of her experiences, and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. There will be links to her website and her podcast in the show notes where you can go to her website for more information about her writing or her business coaching. As always, I'm going to leave you today with a writing prompt that you can feel free to email me at contact at rememberkrams.com and let me know if you would like me to read it in private or if you would like it to be used for a special episode of Listener Voices, and you can send that either in writing or as a voice memo. So find a quiet space and set a timer for 12 minutes and write about a person who was an ambassador to you in your grief. Again, thank you so much for listening. I love having you here. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us. and. Feel free to share this episode or share the podcast with friends and family. And if you would like to support us in other ways, there are links in the show notes. And as always, you can go to rememberhams.com to get a card for someone you care about. Thanks.